You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My Seven Chakras, episode 233. Almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, the show where we dive deep into the ancient world to uncover nuggets of wisdom that will transform your life. So if this is the first time you're listening, then know that you have arrived at the right podcast. My goal, as always, is to enable you to take action in your life. So if you are a regular listener, if you're an action taker, then make sure you help us spread the word of the show by sharing something on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If your life has changed, if you feel motivated, if you feel inspired, or if you've changed the way you look at life or challenges because of listening to the show, then make sure you take a moment to share something on social media using the hashtag My7Chakras and hashtag Action Tribe. That's hashtag My7Chakras and hashtag Action Tribe. And if you're new to the show, welcome to My7Chakras. Your first step would be to download the official reading list, which consists of 21 must-read spiritual books that have been recommended on the show and that I highly recommend. The link you need is My7Chakras.com forward slash reading list. It's very simple. It's our website, My7Chakras.com forward slash reading list. Now, some of the awesome books that are on this list are The Alchemist by Polo Coelho, Hands of Light by Barbara Brennan, Energy Medicine by Donna Eden, and Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which is one of my favorites. So if you want to get hold of the entire list, uh, you can just leave your email address at my7chakras.com forward slash reading list. And with that out of the way, we are now ready to bring you our awesome guest for today, Scott Stabil. So Scott are you ready to inspire? I'm absolutely ready to inspire. Great, great. So, 
author and social media sensation Scott Stabile, whose inspirational posts and videos have attracted a huge and devoted social media following, is here on our show today. Uh, Scott's parents were murdered when he was 14. Nine years later, his brother died of a heroin overdose. Soon after that, he joined a cult that dominated his life for 13 years before he summoned the courage to walk away. Through his latest book, Big Love, The Power of Living with a Wide Open Heart, Scott shares how, through it all, he has become even more committed to living a life from love while encouraging each of us to do the same. So, Scott, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, AJ. Very happy to be here. Wonderful. So thanks a lot for joining me today. And it seems like a theme, you know, I don't know, it's synchronicity, but the last few guests that we've had on our show all have been talking about some aspect of love, uh, you know, and the power of the heart and uh, stuff that we know through science, but also stuff that we can't quite fathom yet. And maybe people are doing research to really find out what is it that is in our hearts that uh, makes us more powerful, that allows us to heal, that allows us to forgive and and do so many things. So we're going to explore some more aspects of love, our heart and the power to forgive and things like that. But before that, let's begin with some inspiration. My question is, what is your favorite inspirational quote and how does that apply in your life? Well, I have a few, but I'll, I'm going to, I thought of this one because it applies to my life right now. It's almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. And that's a quote by Anne Lamott, who's a wonderful writer, thinker, humanitarian. And the quote speaks to me, um, just the, the notion of unplugging, you know, taking time to remove yourself from all the insanity that we see in this world and from the noise of our minds and offering ourselves some, you know, deep breaths and some conscious, deliberate time uh, with ourselves in peace. I think it goes a long, long way, even if it's only a few minutes a day. Wonderful. I love this quote. And in fact, today I was you know, intuitively practicing this quote, uh, because the thing is that uh, I love going to the coffee shop. And sometimes when I go to the coffee shop, I tend to take my laptop along with me so that I can mm-hmm. get some work done. Uh, but this morning, and in fact, over the last few weeks, I have this routine where I maybe go to a coffee shop, especially on a Saturday or a Sunday morning, and I don't take my laptop, I just take a book that I want to read. And I get a coffee, I don't even get breakfast, I just get coffee. And yeah. it's sort of this meditative contemplative moments that I share with myself and the book and the author who wrote the book. But again, it reminds me of your quote that you shared today. Almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few moments, even Absolutely. you. So, Absolutely. I love this quote. Thanks a lot for sharing. And with that, let's dive in. Uh, Scott, what inspired you to name your book Big Love? Well, I mean, I'm a big fan of love, first and foremost. That's the main thing I tend to talk and and write about and I uh, my Facebook community which has grown quite large over the past several years one of my most common sign-offs to the community is big love so it seemed like the obvious uh, the obvious choice for the book mm-hmm. because also the book it everything that I'm writing about ultimately I I'm, I'm talking about love in action and the way that love serves our lives. So for me, the bigger, the better. Wonderful, wonderful. And I've been reading about language these days and imagery and that humans, before even learning language, used to think in terms of images. And when you shared that big love, I imagined it was either you or somebody in a big hot air balloon and the balloon was shaped 
like a heart, you know, floating above yeah. the earth. But tell us, what's it like living with a wide open heart? You know, what is what is life like? Um, well, first of all, my heart isn't always wide open. <laughs> so okay. I think like, yeah. what, it's, what it's like for me, it's, it's changed my life. I mean, love more than anything. And when I speak of love, I'm speaking of the energy of love that I believe is um, once you get beyond all the noise and the busyness of this world, that's what we're left with, this beautiful ocean of love from which we can think and act and connect with other human beings. So when I started to realize that I can't always choose my thoughts, you know, our thoughts are playing out often before we have a chance to consider them. Um, I can always choose my actions, you know, and and by choosing my actions and choosing to act from love in my life and opening my heart in that way to the people in the world, the people whom I'm close with in my life, to perfect strangers, to people on social media, um, it's it opens you up to completely different kinds of connections with human beings and with yourself. Mm-hmm. Because let's, let's not forget that in opening, you know, trying to live with a wide open heart and to be as loving as possible, that's not only in the way that we interact with other people, it's, it's also in the way that we connect with ourselves and what we allow, what kind of mind chatter we allow to play out, what kind of self abuse we allow to play out right. and the way we move from that into a loving space. Got it. So love what you said. You can't always choose your thoughts because thoughts come within a microsecond you know, without yeah. any warning. And those thoughts then might, you know, transform into an emotion or a feeling. But you can choose how you react to those thoughts. And if you are consistent and disciplined with how your approach is, then you can actually change your life and how you interact with your friends and community and relatives. Uh, because at the end of the day, especially in social media, it's, uh, you know, if you are trying to make a change influencing lives, then you're in a vulnerable position and people who love you can share good feelings and vibes. But there are also those people who might be able to attack you on social media. Absolutely. And so you are in a very uh, in a difficult position sometimes. Uh, but let's take a few steps back. Uh, when did you first reconnect? with the power of love was there like an aha moment for you and i'm saying reconnect because i believe that all of us when we are born we are deeply connected with love but sometimes we tend to lose it so in your case was it a reconnection with the power of love at some stage in your life yeah i would say in the i i graduated from college in 93 and i moved out to san francisco and one of the first jobs that i got well, the first job I got was actually as a, a law clerk in uh, for at a law firm because I thought I wanted to become an attorney at the time. Mm-hmm. And my experience in that, and this is not a comment on attorneys, I have a lot of attorney friends, but my experience in that world was completely miserable. And this was my first job out of school and my, my first job in the proper workforce. And I was living in San Francisco and excited to be there. And yet I was showing up to work in this environment where a lot of the people I was surrounded by seemed incredibly unhappy mm-hmm. and incredibly anxious a lot. And I saw myself becoming that way. And I quit that job after seven months. And it was a really, for me, uh, this moment where I made a commitment to myself. I said, you know what, I am, I'm not going to compromise my happiness for work. Like I don't, I do not need to do that moving forward. And I'm mostly stayed true to that commitment. I've quit a lot lot of jobs uh, (laughs) after not a lot of time at them either. But, but it was after that, I got a job at a new age gift shop in the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco, which was, you know, during the time of 
the, in the late sixties in the summer of love, that was the big hippie district where the grateful dead were always playing and Janis mm-hmm. Joplin, a lot of energy there. Yeah. When I was living there, it was, you would still, there was still some of that vibe, but it was a little, a little grungier, a little, um, less peace and love all the time. And more like a lot of people trying to sell you drugs on the street, you know, mm-hmm. but it was, it was a an energetic, vibrant place, and there, there was this store that I worked at that was like this haven on Haight Street, and you walked in, and it was this beautiful New Age world gift store, and there were you could smell the nod chump, and there were people drumming in the corner, and mm. beautiful candles, and all this amazing merchandise from all over the world, and when I got the job there, I became the manager of the book section, right. and the book section was all new age books, you know, it was all books about love and enlightenment and consciousness. And this was my first time really being introduced to this concept, really being introduced to the idea that rather than looking at what we do as a career and how much money we're making as a means of success, what if we base our success on how how much love we're sharing with the world and how peaceful we feel inside. And it was, so when you, when you talk about reconnecting to love, that was a really, that was a direct reconnection to this this idea that felt so right in my heart. And even though the whole concept of enlightenment was brand new to me at the time, I felt like I was coming home to something. And it was through that experience of that job and the people I was working with and all the conversations about love and kindness and compassion, that's, that's what really started me on, on this path to an open heart and living from love. Wonderful. And, you know, let me tell you, I could spend a lot of time at something like a new age gift shop, you know, because I can get lost and checking out the different crystals yes. or maybe the essential oils or maybe checking out all these fascinating books that are available to read or maybe checking out some tarot cards. And because of that reason, I end up spending a lot of time sometimes at the Vancouver Public Library or maybe some other, you know, gift shop because I'm really fascinated by how those different things make me feel and affect my senses and really make me thrive. And Action Tribe, if you're listening to this episode right now, if you're in that moment trying to figure out what to do with your life, or maybe if you're in a job which doesn't make sense for you, remember and realize that you have the choice within you to make a change. Just imagine what type of job or vocation or thing you'd like to do in your life. It really, you know, pulls you in, you know, really inspires you. Now is the moment. Now, Scott, uh, going back, uh, you know, uh, to the past, your parents were murdered when you were 14 years old. Take us back to that moment. How, how did it happen exactly? Well, my, uh, you know, my parents had a market in Detroit where they, that they owned and where they worked each day. And they wa- arrived at their market one morning and uh, their employee, a man, they walked in right after their employee had been stabbed by a man who was in the market with them. And he ended up killing my parents as well. He ended up shooting my parents so, um, I mean, that's the, that's the logistics of how it happened. And obviously that was a, an earth shattering moment mm-hmm. in my life and profoundly tragic moment. Um, I was lucky to be, I'm lucky to be the youngest of seven children, six of whom are living because my brother did pass away uh, many years ago as well. Um, but having a, a, a big family and a close family, uh, made a huge difference in term for me mm-hmm. in terms of how I was able to move forward. But when it happened, truthfully, I 
I just buried the experience. I buried the grief. I moved on with my life. I was a, you know, a straight A student and a popular kid. And about once a year, I would have a meltdown, you know, where I would cry, cry, cry. And it was usually brought on by too much to drink and, you know, some conversation that might have triggered it and my inhibitions were down and I would sob and then lock it all away again and just move on. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I write it in big love. I think it's, and I believe in my life, it's very important to look at our pain honestly and to confront it and be real with it and grieve and cry and, and rage and do whatever we need to do to um, to grieve, whether it's the loss of a loved one or the loss of a relationship or whatever trauma, whatever heartache we're experiencing in our lives. I don't ultimately think we serve ourselves by not facing it and being real with the emotions that it brings up. At the same time, I feel incredibly grateful that when I was a 14-year-old, I I and I don't even think I consciously did it, but something, some divine, something divine happened where I was able to just truly lock it away and not face it because I don't believe that at the time I would have been able to really confront all the grief and the trauma at that age and just the, the magnitude with which it changed my world. So it wasn't really until the, when I started that job and I started reading those books um, in my early 20s, early to mid-20s when I really started to look at the loss of my parents and look at the way they died and look at all the pain and um, sorrow it caused. And by doing that, that's in part what also helped me to approach my life differently because I, I believe very deeply that some part of me was also shut off to connecting with people as deeply as I could because when we shut ourselves down to feeling the real pain that's inside we're also shutting ourselves down to feeling the real joy that's inside because you can't and that's not to say you're not i didn't have a lot of joyful happy moments but when you when you put walls up energetically to your experience of the world you can't selectively choose to just block out the darkness you're also blocking out the light and i I found that only when I've opened myself up to the full breadth of feeling and relating to everything that's going on within, from my deepest sadness to my greatest joy, only when I allow for all of it, do I move forward in my life with um, with the possibility of of experiencing the whole that life has to offer. If that makes sense. Got it. Got it. So, so where were you when this incident happened? I was staying, I, I had spent the weekend with my sister, and oh. actually, my sister and brother-in-law and my nephew, and we, my brother-in-law had a, a deli, so when we heard news that, uh, we heard news that my parents' car was parked outside their store, yeah. but that the store wasn't opened, you know, long after the store should have been opened, my one sister and I drove to my brother's room brother-in-law's restaurant and another sister worked there and we kind of congregated there as we uh waited to hear more because we knew in our gut something was very wrong right you know none, none of the situation made sense in the area where their store was it wasn't a particularly safe area of detroit at the time and mm-hmm. you know so in your gut you feel like something's horribly amiss sure. and you just hope that it's not the worst thing that you can imagine and it mm-hmm. ended up being the worst thing that we could imagine so how did this particular incident of losing uh, your parents, how did it change you as a person? 
Wow, it's a tough question only because it's hard to know how you would have been otherwise, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I only know my experience of being a 14-year-old whose parents were murdered. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think when I, when I look at, when I consider the greatest gift that came from it, I know that that's my capacity for empathy and for compassion. You know, we we focus a lot on we we tend to focus a lot on trying to be as happy as we can be in this life, and I think there's a lot of beauty that comes mm-hmm. from joy in living a life with as much joy as possible. Um, but I've because of the sadness that I went through and the grief and that loss, I feel like I got to connect with um, traumatic loss at a very young age, and for most of my life, because of that. And it allows me to connect deeply with others who are going through grief. And I, I, I know the gift of that because I also recognize that when people are, when I'm talking about things like forgiveness and the way that I was able to forgive my parents' killer, people who are listening to my message of forgiveness know that I'm not speaking from a light place. I'm not just forgiving the guy who cut me off in traffic. I'm speaking about forgiving the man who killed my parents and and made me an orphan instantly. And I think that when we when we know that someone has been through something and can come from a place in their teachings or in their wisdom and or in whatever it is they have to share from that that place of deep loss, it it can tend to impact people in a more profound way, if that makes sense. Well, absolutely. I believe that when you lose something or when you experience this kind of pain, it allows you to, I guess, relate to other people who might be going through a similar challenge, right? I guess that is what empathy is all about. But uh, thanks a lot for sharing that uh, with me. Now, the other thing is, I mean, nine years later, I guess you were 23 at that point. Uh, your brother, brother died of a... Uh, uh, heroin overdose, right? So how yes. did his death impact you? Well, you know, his it, in some ways his life impacted me much more than his death. Not that his death didn't impact me, but yeah. at the time, my brother had been addicted. My brother was uh, 18 years older than I was, okay. and as far as anyone knows, he was addicted to heroin by the time I was born. So my only experience of my brother was as a man addicted to heroin. You know, that was, I didn't, I didn't know him as uh, that was always the context with which I viewed my brother. So when he died, his honestly, more than anything, I felt relief for him because I, I had only known him to be this Addicted man who was struggling so much, living you know in and out of of like smack houses and being in and out of jail and and it was what I, what I experienced at the time a horrible life to be living. So I I always knew I would be receiving a call someday from one of my siblings telling me that my brother Ricky had died. I I always knew that would be a call that I would be getting, and and it. I don't know how else to say it, but in the moment, what I felt most was relief in that his that that painful life of struggle is over now, and he's at peace. You know, I should say though, at the time, I also didn't believe my brother had the power to overcome his addiction. I only saw 
uh, addiction as an incurable disease at the time and not one that he had any power over. And I no longer view addiction through that lens. I, I absolutely that believe that people, if if addiction were only an incurable disease, people would could never make the choice to move beyond it. So though I do believe that people can become physically, emotionally, and otherwise addicted to um, to drugs and alcohol, yeah. I also believe that it's always within a person's power to to move beyond it. Um, not that that's easy <laughs> by <Yeah>. any means. <laughs> And I don't don't want to suggest that in any way. And I also don't believe that people have to make that choice to move beyond it. I believe that we we deal with this life however we're able to deal with this life. But I I no longer believe that my brother couldn't have made that choice for himself. And I'm sorry that I never got to see him make it for more than a handful of, you know, weeks or months at a time. Got it. Now, now you you, you mentioned the things that you were going through or the emotions that you were feeling, you felt a a level of relief uh, knowing that at that time your brother could not really overcome that level of addiction, right? Uh, But also losing a family member is definitely a loss. So how did, you know, at that point, how did you, how did you move on with life? Uh, Was there any sort of coping mechanism or some approach that you used to maybe change your focus or just to move on in life? You know, I think that um, there's a lot of talk when it when it comes to grief, and in specifically the grief of losing yeah. uh, a person. There's this idea that there are these, you know, the five or seven. I don't, I'm not sure the, the stages of grief that we're all supposed to go through, and this idea that you can find closure with your grief. And that's not really my experience around grief. And I I think okay. we do a disservice to people to present this. Um, structured idea of how you're supposed to grieve. Mm-hmm. I feel like there aren't rules to grief. And I think that people grieve however they grieve, and there's not really a right or wrong way to it. I also feel that, so for me, what what does that mean? It means like being as honest as I can be with what I'm going through. And if what I'm going through now is deep sadness and sorrow, then spend my days crying and if it's rage then allow for that rage because only when we i found in my life and and again i speak from for myself from my own experience and if this resonates with you beautiful um, but it's only when i have allowed myself to feel my emotions have i in any way been able to move beyond them and move through my life um with more openness to experiencing other things and without, without my emotions consuming me. So with, with grief, I don't feel like we find closure. I think that we move on because life moves on and mm-hmm. we come to see what I would say to somebody. If you, if you've lost someone recently and you're in that place that I think many of us find ourselves in it, it, immediately after a loss for who knows how long of feeling like we're never going to get beyond it. We're never going to see joy again. We're never going to be able to think about that person with, with with anything but deep sadness and my experience is that we do move on however we're able to move on we will find joy again and we do find joy again and I found with my parents and with my brother that I did get to a place where when I think of them it's not just with the painful heart and sorrow it's with with joyful memories that actually bring a smile to my face and not just heartache and heartbreak and that's the thing I would just want to 
want to say to people and, and remind people that however you need to grieve and whatever you need to go through within loss, that's your experience to have. But do know that you will not always live in the worst of that experience. You know, there that that the darkest of the dark does not last forever and you will get to the other side of that and that that pain will be integrated into your life in a different way that still allows you to move forward in your life. Got it. So the way I look at it and based on what you shared, only when you allow for the emotions to go through you or maybe experience those emotions uh, that you are able to associate that particular memory with the joy as you look back. Right. So it seems like the emotions have like a cleansing effect on you, allow you to heal from that experience and then you look at whatever that loss is as joy that well i absolutely believe that when we allow ourselves to feel our emotions that is is one of the paths to healing because mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll speak about addiction specifically and i i believe aj we live in an incredibly addicted society if you're not a person who considers yourself addicted to drugs or addicted to drugs drinking like there's a good chance that you have addictive tendencies towards something towards social media toward television toward shopping toward gambling whatever it is we 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 want to numb ourselves from feeling and that's when i speak about avoiding feeling our feelings when we're numbing from that that is that's what people who are addicted are doing they don't want to feel their emotions they're trying to escape whatever reality is going on in their lives and we turn to whatever we turn to in order to make that escape but but when we do that our feelings have total control over us they're controlling us by us doing everything in our power to avoid feeling them so i found that when i actually allow myself to feel them instead of yeah. creating all these different diversions to avoid feeling them i'm actually serving myself and they will move through you feelings are designed to be fleeting you know they're not designed to stay with us sure. you know 24/7 got it got it thanks for sharing now later on in life you also joined a cult uh, is that correct that is correct <laughs> what, what what sort of cult was this well it's you know, it was a suburban, like Bay Area, California cult. It was mm. a there was a a guru, a cult leader, a teacher, whatever, however you would want to title him. And I was one of his um, his followers. You know, mm. and and he he was teaching, preaching a path of enlightenment. And this was at a time when I saw enlightenment as my greatest goal. Okay. And, and I saw him as a truly enlightened being who was able to offer um, a path to that reality. Um, and I was, you know, his student for 13 years. It, at times, incredibly intimately so when I was living in the Bay Area and, and my life was really built around um, my time with the community and taking care of our teacher and meeting for gathering for student meetings and gathering sure. for social meetings. And, and that was my life was this spiritual community. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, that's, so that's how kind of how I got involved. Basically I, I met a man that I felt was enlightened and I mm-hmm. wanted to, learn from him and I left when I you know I worked hard to convince myself that he was enlightened Um, even when I saw actions that 
felt like they were much more aligned with the ego than they were with mm. any sort of deep clarity yep. and love. And I finally realized that this wasn't really the path that I wanted to be walking on. And he, I didn't believe him to be the person that I thought he was. Um, and I decided to, you know, leave after, I mean, it was a, a, imagine this was really the closest knit. It was, this was like my family, you know, these were the people closest to me in my life. So walking away from him, I knew that I was also risking losing all of my closest friends or most of my closest friends. And I did end up losing all of them because he, um, he instructed them to remove me from their lives. So really quickly, uh, how did you get to know about this cult? Was it a friend that told you about it or did you read about it somewhere? How did you first people I befriended? Yeah, it was people I befriended who were just really beautiful souls and they, you know, kept talking about their master their guru Mm. so eventually i and they kept they credited everything about their everything good in their lives they credited to this man Mm -hmm. so eventually i was like i can i meet him (laughs) you know when can i meet him he sounds incredible and that that was what you know how i got involved with him Got it, got it. So you did spend some time. You spent about 13 years, right? And you sort of made friends. You It, it was like family to you. Uh, and, and you were pretty involved. But then it seems you noticed some trends. Uh, you noticed something amiss. And you felt that, uh, you know, the decisions or the way he was leading life was more driven by his ego rather than true qualities of someone who was enlightened. As I saw it, yes. In, mm-hmm. in not all the... In- this isn't to suggest. I also believe that he has. A, he's a very loving man with a lot of love to give. Yeah. But I, I, at the same time, he's professing himself to be someone yeah. he's not. You know. So there's a, a very deep dishonesty there that's happening at the same time, and it's a, it it can. And I watched it have a, an incredibly negative effect on people. And um, and for me, I feel like I was always, even though I was deeply involved with the cult, I was still, yeah. I still maintained friendships outside of it. I didn't, my my life was on the one hand, very much about that community, but not so much that if I didn't have that community, I would be friendless and without sure. anybody, yeah. you know, so in some ways I was able to move on, I think a little more, um, for lack of a better word, peacefully. I mean, it was incredibly traumatic losing my friends the way I lost them. Um, incredibly traumatic. Um, but yeah. uh, I still had other support. If that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but the, there, you know, this is, is what I what I realized is these types of cults. I mean, they're not the the types that you're necessarily reading about on the news. Like they're not. Sure. There's not Kool Aid involved. <laughs> And, you know, it's it's not there aren't crimes involved, yeah. but there is the potential for you know a, a a deeply kind of insidious undercurrent that is affecting people, so you know in 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 negative ways, you know in in somewhat harmful ways, depending on who the person is. Um, but I also try to recognize that the you know his disciples who are still following him would would have a very different story to share about their experience do you know what i 
I mean, I, and I well, try to, I try to <laughs> honor that at the same time, um, yeah. but also recognize that there's a lot of manipulation and there's a lot of deception and a lot of lying that was going on in my experience of this community. Got it, got it. As well as a lot of love, you know, like, like they're, they're also a lot of loving people, you know, yeah. and this is what the choice they're making. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think, you know, when people are within a cult or within an organization, uh, we each tend to create our own reality, right? And so their reality is through that filter. And so for someone from outside, you know, uh, any statement or any story might seem against their reality. And this happens... Uh, you know, although I'm based in Vancouver, uh, Canada right now, it tends to happen all across, right? Even in India, they have these gurus or these leaders who attract people and the people think it's great initially, but then there's, there's some, some of these inconsistencies or some of these anomalies that shouldn't happen in a cult that take, that take place. And then they feel like, you know, leaving and it becomes difficult to leave because, uh, what I've read is, you know, the human, a human is always wanting to be a part of a tribe, right? Whether the yes. tribe is a church yes. or a gym or a membership or a gang even. And there's definitely some attraction, that quality that attracts people to these, this group. Now, when it does not resonate with them, sometimes it becomes so difficult to leave because obviously everything, your social bond is connected to that group. So my question to you is, how did you fill that emptiness or maybe that lack of connection in your life as soon as you experience the vacuum of not being a part of that cult? Because I'm it's, sure you were drawing from it as well, right? Yeah, it's a great question. And it, it's, um, I mean, I would say that I filled it through other connections and other relationships I had. But if, if I'm honest, I don't feel like I've filled what I had there in quite the same way because that was, right. you know, the, these were like my spiritual brothers and sisters and I was with them all the time. And we were talking about, mm. again, at the time it was always about enlightenment and wanting to be sure. enlightened and how far we were from it and what was keeping us from it. So there was room and, and availability for these types of conversations all the time. Like there was always someone yeah. who wanted to go deep spiritually. Yeah. And, and that's not, not, that's not how most people are. So I do you won't be able to the, have those conversations with other no, people, right? <laughs> no, it's exactly. not all the time in the truth. But the mm -hmm. truth is, I was sick of having those conversations. Really, <laughs> okay. really and truly, I mean, I, I loved having access to the, those types of connections with people. But it just became too much. It was so everything was about that all the time. And Got it. at some point, I mean, my quote earlier about unplugging, it's like at some point, you have to unplug for that and allow yourself yeah. just to live your life. And to appreciate the moments you're having without always focusing on how you're not enlightened and how yeah. what you, and, and everything you need to do to become enlightened. And, you know, it just becomes it became exhausting. And I didn't feel like yeah. I was nearly as present as I could be in my life in my effort to be more present. <laughs> you know, so it was this, oh, absolutely it was a strange <laughs> economy. So I, you know, I grieved it a long time, though, to answer your question. I grieved that the, the community a long time. I still have moments where. I miss, it was such a unique kind of connection, which ultimately wasn't healthy, but when it felt healthy, it felt really good. Um, but I find, you know, I, I have, I am lucky to have some, you know, really good close friends who are, are, you know, are spiritual in their own, when I say spiritual, are committed to becoming more loving human beings and are open to talking about what yeah. that means. And so I 
find that in other places. And my Facebook community is actually amazing, has served this amazingly, especially uh, when they started doing the Facebook Live videos because I do those videos quite regularly and it's a way to connect live and in the moment with people from all over the world who are tuning in to talk and, and, and vibe on the energy of love and compassion and creativity. And those really serve me. They're really beautiful. Got it. So, Scott, our show attracts some of the most hardworking people who I call as action takers, and our group is called Action Tribe. People who are going through different challenges in their life, whether it's a health challenge, maybe they've di been diagnosed with a disease, or maybe they want to lose some weight, they want to transform their life, they want to find a new job, or maybe just provide for their family, and they're going through challenges. So what advice do you have for a listener listening to the show right now who might be going through pain or grief uh, or, 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 or some sort of a challenge or some sort of a failure that they perceive in their life? Well, you know, I think that it's really important. It has become really important for me when I, when faced with big changes, you know, when faced with challenge, whatever type of challenge, usually what comes up right away are all the different fears that are related to that challenge. So a fear of the unknown, a fear of change, a fear of being judged. You know, we all of these different fears that enter our lives, enter our minds that can tend to keep us from moving forward and taking the action steps that we need to take to create um, a more fulfilling life or the prospect for greater health and happiness in our lives. And what I like to remind people is um, a couple things. One, that, you know, I have a chapter in the book about fear, and what I've learned about my fear is to have a very different relationship with it, because I viewed my fear as this tyrant for most of my life. And I've cowered to my fears wills. So when I wanted to make, take a big step or make a big change, maybe quit a job that I knew was making me miserable or do something for my health and well-being, but was afraid I wasn't going to be able to do it correctly. I, I would let the fear win. The fear would say, this is going to hurt. This is going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be judged. So I wouldn't take steps forward. Now what I realize is that my fear is just trying to protect me. That's fear's job. But my fear doesn't have a lot of emotional intelligence with which to do its job. It views, you know, I've come to find that my fear, when it's giving me signals, it views, you know, running into a burning building the same way it views having a difficult conversation that you know you need to have. It doesn't make a distinction. It sees the same thing as un uncomfortable and so it tells you don't do it don't do it don't do it so when i realized that my fear was just trying to protect me but that it wasn't incredibly smart in the way it goes about doing it instead of seeing my fear as a bully i kind of view it as this like annoying little child that i can shoo away and it doesn't control my choices the way it used to it sits kind of in the sidecar rather than taking the steering wheel and one way that we can when one way that i've learned to look at these big scary things in my life is to deconstruct them instead of you know we are basically at letter a and whatever it is we're trying to move through or get through in our lives is z but instead of recognizing that we don't have to jump from a to z in making smarter choices for our health or in finding a new job we don't have to jump from a to z we only need to take ourselves from a to b and when we recognize a to b might literally be doing a google search for something mm. or sending out a simple email to someone or making one phone call, those types of actions are much more palatable 
to our fear. And they, those types of actions we can do. And once we're at B, all we need to do is take the next step from B to C. But suddenly we find ourselves at R or S or T and our ultimate goal of Z is starting to get a lot closer. So I really encourage people to deconstruct whatever it is, whatever that big situation or that big hurdle is, deconstruct it, break it down and don't try to, don't try to take it all on at once. Just take it step by step. And the other thing that I really encourage people to do is knowing that whatever that step is going to be, knowing that it's going to be uncomfortable because change is always uncomfortable. Making making a, a big change in our lives is always un- uncomfortable. Facing big challenges is always uncomfortable. But we can still take the time to deconstruct them and figure out, well, knowing that it's going to be uncomfortable, how can I make it as comfortable as possible? A very simple example for me, like I can be a germaphobe. So riding, and I lived in New York City, riding the subway, I rode the, and I rode the subway all the time. And it was never totally comfortable because there was always a part of my mind that was focused on what are my hands touching, where are all these germs coming from. But what I could do is I could remember to bring you know, a Purell with me so that when I got off the subway, I could squeeze the antibacterial thing on my hands, wash my hands, and or I could wear gloves. You know, whatever choices I could make to make that subway ride more enjoyable rather than just saying, you know what, rather than go to Brooklyn today, I'm going to stay in because I don't want to have to deal with the subway and all the anxiety that it brings up for me. You know, because that that's what we do. Instead, well, okay, I know I'm going to be anxious. What can I do to lessen that anxiety so that I still move forward with my life and take that choice? Thanks a lot for sharing. Now, Scott, you mentioned earlier on that you have forgiven the person who murdered your parents. Is that correct? That is correct. So how did you arrive at that space that allowed you to forgive him? What did it involve? Well, in one word, it's empathy. And that is truly the path for me. The path to forgiveness is empathy supported by compassion and both empathy and compassion I think are are mandates of love but it was only when I allowed one recognizing that my hatred towards him my my inability to forgive him my resentment my blame all of these things that I was feeling was in no way serving my my health and well-being. It was in no way serving my peace of mind. Recognizing that, I also recognize, well, at some point, I will likely need to make myself available to forgiveness of this man. And I didn't know how at the time. But then when I started to recognize, like, okay, this man shot and killed my parents and killed their employee, Um, nobody who's operating from any space of self-worth or self-love, nobody who feels seen, nobody who feels worthy, nobody who feels any of these things could ever make the choice that that man made. So though I can't connect to taking another person's life, I can absolutely connect to feeling horribly unworthy. I can connect to feeling unloved. I can connect to feeling so angry that and I wished someone would die. I could connect to all those things in my own experience of being a human being. So I I knew then that I could also connect to him in, in his humanity. You know, we're all the same, basically, AJ. I really believe that. And it's it's uh, you may not you may not have had your parents murdered when you were fourteen, but I without 
knowing your story, I am 100% certain that you can connect to grief in your own life and in your own experience of it. So we both can connect to grief with one another. I don't need to know you to know that you can connect to feeling insecure and feeling unseen at different points in your life and on different levels. And it was when I was able to recognize that this man who murdered my parents is another human being who has had horrible struggles in his life or he never would have gotten to this point. When I was able to see that and feel that, um, it made a pathway to forgiveness. And suddenly I was able to think about him without feeling hate and anger in my heart. It was with forgiveness. And then I was able to think about him with feeling love in my heart. And um, so if, if someone is out there wanting to forgive and not knowing how, I would say two things. Do you really want to forgive? Because if we don't really want to forgive, we're never going to find forgiveness. And if you really want to forgive, are, are you able then to look at the person that you want to forgive and can, to connect to their humanity? You know, try to imagine what it's like to walk, in, to walk in the shoes of that person and living life's experience through their eyes and their trauma and their struggle. Um, and if you're able to do that, I really believe at some point forgiveness will find you. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Now, Scott, how did the act of forgiving him affect you? Oh, oh forgiveness is, forgiveness is, is one of the more powerful things I think that we can offer ourselves. <laughs> I don't want, I don't yeah. want to mislead and suggest it was this one because I didn't consciously in the moment decide I forgive him and that happened because I don't believe that's how forgiveness works. I don't believe we can just say, mm -hmm. okay, I want to forgive this person and then we're going to be blessed with forgiveness. It was, it was for me more of a discovery of recognizing that, wow, when I, after I was able to empathize with him, when I started to, to think about him, I realized Wow, I'm thinking about him through the lens of forgiveness. And so it wasn't this one this one moment that I was aware of, but it was it's life changing. I mean, we all know what it's like to live without forgiveness, I believe, when we're still caught up in that blame. Um, and we all I think most of us know what it's like to forgive someone and it frees us from that blame. It frees us from all those toxic emotions we're carrying on inside of us. Um, it's free. It's freedom. Forgiveness is freedom. So action takers to access the show notes for today's episode to read the inspirational quote, book recommendations and other nuggets. Go to my seven chakras.com forward slash two, three, three. That's my seven chakras.com forward slash two, three, three. Start by doing what's necessary, then do what is possible, and suddenly you are doing the impossible. This is a quote by Francis of Assisi. Action Tribe, deconstruct your fears. That's what we're learning today. Break down your projects and take small steps towards your goal. I may not have met you yet one-on-one, -on -one, but I do know something about all you listeners. I know that you want to make a change in your life. But sometimes, as we're learning, making a change, a big change, can seem overwhelming and hard to do and if you try too hard you might end up giving too instead take small steps these small manageable steps over a period of time build up just like a tidal wave just like an avalanche leading to your transformation but you need to start small and then attempt bigger projects taking action is like going to the gym you got to start where you're at then do a little more and then a little more until you get more disciplined and relentless because as we are reminded today by francis of a CC as well as Scott 
the best way to start the best way to achieve the impossible ultimately is by first doing what's necessary then moving to what's possible and finally taking on the impossible and i know you can do it so, so scott as you look back at your life we've spoken about some major setbacks that you've gone through but take us to a moment in your life when you faced the biggest life challenge how did you encounter it and what steps did you take to overcome that particular challenge uh, you know i will well the biggest life challenge certainly was losing my parents and i talked a bit about that um so i'll, I'll i want to i'll talk about a challenge in the in the context which i i think your listeners will appreciate because it's again it's in the context of fear and i think that um in these past years these past three four years especially i have begun to share myself and share my creativity and share the wisdom that i've uh gleaned from my life experience more than i ever had in my life and at every point it's come with a tremendous amount of fear of being judged of being condemned of you know all of those different things and what i've what i've seen is that when we when we show up in our authenticity as much as we're able when we're able to share our truth with the world put it out there um there is no saying how we're going to connect with other people in the world and that what i've learned is that fear never disappears and that we we can never wait to reach a point of fearlessness because that's not likely to happen but what we can do is start to recognize that we can continue to move forward we continue to we can continue to make braver choices and bring our fear along with us and so you know kind of to answer your question is just i'm getting over my uh my fear of being judged and condemned for who I am and I'm sharing myself in a way that I never shared myself before and I feel like by doing so I'm also helping to inspire others to share themselves and I'm creating um an avenue for others to offer their authenticity and um it's been a huge gift for me to see that the the power we hold by moving forward in our lives with fear so based on your story maybe in just one sentence what is it one major life lesson that you'd like to share with our community uh live in love as often as you can um and and when i say that i simply mean to ask yourself the question throughout the day as often as you can how does love invite me to show up in this moment you know what does love invite me to say what does love invite me to do um because as much as i I find myself making choices that aren't rooted in love. I'm deep, deeply committed to to being a loving human being, and every time I bring myself back to the energy of love, I have been shown incredible gifts in this life. And I don't believe I believe that the greatest choice we can make for ourselves, for our healing, and for our world is to choose love as often as possible. Got it. Thanks for sharing. Uh, now you mentioned that over the last few years you've been uh you know sharing your journey with your community on social media you began to share your stories and you said that you do live streams express your creativity you know share your challenges and what you're going through uh and along with that of course uh you did uh face some fear fear of being judged condemned fear of you know somebody you know vocalizing the whatever emotion that comes out when they read your message and uh, in major part i go through that too 
you know when doing a podcast when sharing my thoughts my opinions my views uh you, you know because of the fact that social media gives everyone a voice everyone can yes. say something good or people can judge you as well and what people don't realize is even though it's social media it feels as if they're in front of you sometimes yes. and sometimes the messages and comments can hurt uh and and you and like you rightly put when you share these messages when you share your story you can't say for sure who will connect who will not connect who will get angry and how the people will connect with your message right but the goal is to bring your fear along and in the process as you're taking action as you're growing you sort of get over your fear as well and people who resonate with your message will become part of your community and of course you have built such a huge community on facebook uh, uh, uh you know through through your consistent uh, messaging and authentic messaging so thanks a lot for sharing oh, i really appreciate thank it thank you so much aj and i i'm so grateful to be here and I love I love what you're doing. I'm so happy you have this podcast because you express yourself beautifully. I love what you're doing and how you're doing it. Thanks a lot. Again, you know, it's an everyday process growing with each and every uh episode and you know, meeting people like you and as well as our community Action Tribe. Action Tribe, this is a quick reminder that if you've learned something new so far as I have, then make sure you spread the word on your preferred social media platform. Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. What is it one thing you've learned on our show so far? You can use the hashtags #my7chakra or #actiontribe so that I can find you and reply to your comment or post because as we know by writing something down it increases the likelihood that you will remember something that is shared even years down the line. Now before we move on let me ask you this have you ever tried something so many times that you wanted to give up? Maybe you're at that phase right now in your life you've tried to reduce weight, you tried to heal a health condition or maybe overcome your fears that are holding you back or maybe trying to provide for your family and no much no matter how much you try you always seem to encounter these obstacles and if that is you then i have a message for you don't give up you are moving closer and closer with each try make sure you learn from from your mistakes or your perceived failures and try once again or take someone's advice or support and because you're listening to this episode i know that you are doing the needed you are not alone everyone who has been successful in life or who has you know reached their goals has been where you are right now and that probably why thomas edison once said our greatest weakness lies in giving up the most certain way to succeed is always to try just one more time so try out whatever you're trying to attempt or trying to achieve one more time and with that we've arrived at the very last round uh which is called the wisdom round our regular listeners know this round very well which is basically like a rapid fire round consists of four questions so that our listeners can take note and take action so scott what is the best advice that someone has ever given you uh, there is no justification for lack of love name one personal habit that keeps you strong uh, i would say um walking honestly like get it one thing that that centers me the most is getting outside and, and taking walks whether they be 5 10 minute walks or hour long walks amazing so what is your morning routine like do you have a morning routine that you follow these days it varies it varies completely i mean i like to wake up and do my best not because i'm a i'm a definitely addicted to social media and my device this is so when i'm when i'm in a a good conscious place my morning routine involves um you know a cup of tea and being quiet before i log on to anything 
um, maybe listening to, uh, you know, a podcast in the morning or doing a quick meditation and just kind of coming to life slowly. And other days I completely blow that. <laughs> so very. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So name a book that you would like to recommend for our listeners today. Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. It's one of my favorite books. It's it's absolutely wonderful. Cheryl Strayed. I loved her first book a lot. Really loved it. Where yeah, she trekked along the Pacific Crest Trail. And it was a beautiful story. And it was made into a movie as well. I'm yeah, it's called Wild. Part. And um, this, this ah. book, Tiny Beautiful things is actually she was a an advice columnist for an online publication called the rumpus and it's a okay. collection of her favorite letters and responses and she when she writes she really channels such a deep clarity and also humor and um it's it's just it's it's really one of my favorite books Super. it's very special so action drive i know how much you love our book recommendations and i know that many of you get these books as soon as you share them hear them shared on our show. Uh, and that's why audible.com is offering Action Tribe one free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so that you can get to check out their amazing service. Now, in case you didn't know, Audible has many different titles, 180,000 titles to choose from for your different devices, including bestsellers like The Chakra System by Anadia Judith, Autobiography of Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, and A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Uh, so instead of reading a book like I am doing these days, why don't you listen to a book on your commute, you know, on your way to work, in the park, whatever it is. That's the new way of reading books, which I'm loving these days. To download your free audiobook today, go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book. Once again, that's my7chakras.com forward slash free book. Select your book and start listening. So Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. It was such an honor, such a pleasure to chat with you and get to know you. And uh, thanks for expressing your vulnerability. Uh, before you go, tell us one thing that you're grateful for and tell us how we can find you online. Well, one thing I'm – thank you for having me, first of all, uh, big time. And one thing I'm grateful for, I would say, is connection with other open-hearted souls. That's one of my favorite things on the planet. So thanks for giving me an outlet for that today with you and with your audience. Um, and then as far as finding me, well, what I will say my new book, Big Love, is also – on audible and i i'm doing the reading for it so if you want to hear me read my book it's there um, but you can find me on my website which is scottsdeville.com or join me on facebook that's where i do most of my uh posting and messaging and um if you're so inclined my book big love the power of living with a wide open heart is available now so there you go action tribe scottsdeville.com s-c-o-t-t-s-t-a-b-i-l-e.com that's where you can go and learn more about scott and find out more but uh, and this is something i didn't know but in case you want to listen to his book not read <laughs> but listen to his book and not all, all authors do it some authors have somebody else <laughs> read their book but in this case scott himself is reading out the book to you what better way and the book is wonderful it's lovely i I have it in front of me right now. Beautiful red. Uh, but if you want to listen to this book, then go to my 7 forward slash free book and just type in big love uh, and you can start listening. That's all. Uh, thank you, AJ. <laughs> so, 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 Scott, thank you so much for joining us today, talking to us about the power of big love and the idea and power of a wide open heart and taking us one step closer to a human revolution beautiful thank you so much have a beautiful day you are listening to my seven chakras 
go to my sevenchakras.com download when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply